Joe Biden considers declaring climate change an emergency. China warns Nancy Pelosi not to visit Taiwan. And we examine just why the military can't recruit anybody. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up against big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com. Slash We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, you've noticed that I'm on the road, but here's the thing. I can still keep an eye on my home, which is really important to me because there are very strange people out there who might not like me or like my family and might want to hurt me. And this is why I rely on Ring to help keep me and my home safe. Ring doesn't just make the video doorbell. They also make an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. Ring didn't stop there. They've changed the home security game entirely with Ring Alarm Pro. That's why I've decided to team up with Ring. When it comes to protecting my home, I've gone pro with Ring Alarm Pro. Ring Alarm Pro is a next-level security system. CNET calls Ring Alarm Pro a giant leap for home security after using it. I think they're totally right. Ring combined a home security system and a Wi-Fi router, so this thing helps protect your home and secure your network. So this summer, whether I'm across the country or across town, I know everything at home is protected and connected and that it will stay that way. With the Ring Protect Pro subscription, which is an amazing deal, by the way, I get professional monitoring for the ultimate peace of mind. If anything happens, professional monitoring will call me and can request emergency services. Talk about a worry-free vacation. Again, I am abroad and this... Makes me feel a lot safer. Ring makes me feel a lot safer. Makes my wife feel a lot safer. You might not have known it, but it's true. Ring has an award-winning alarm. This busy summer season to protect my home, I've gone pro with Ring Alarm Pro. To learn more, head on over to ring.com forward slash Ben. That is ring.com forward slash Ben. Well, it has been precisely one year since Joe Biden predicted that inflation would be temporary and transitional in the United States. Things have not gone according to plan. Here is the president of the United States just one year ago declaring that everything was hunky-dory. It was all going well. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. Reality is you can't flip the global economic light back on and not expect this to happen. Decrepit bloated, stupid is no way to go through life. And yet that is precisely what this administration is. And herein lies a major problem for the United States. It's not just Joe Biden. We have an entire elite class in the United States that has been bloated by years of being able to live off the fat of the land. We have an entire population in the United States that basically has never been asked to sacrifice anything on behalf of the country or even to get up off their butts such that they work for a living. And this is a major, major problem. The predictable result, of course, is that we blame the president. I mean, but Joe Biden has always just been a reflection of whatever is around him. Joe Biden is an avatar for the center of the Democratic Party and for large swaths of American life. He has no independent being. Joe Biden is not some sort of independent thinker who has emerged from the soup of the United States as a leader. He's a person who has bobbed about the eddies of the United States political system for literally all his life. He is just a cork. And so if that cork is moving in a particular direction, what we ought to be looking at is not the cork. We ought to be looking at the tides. However, the media are finally beginning to realize that Joe Biden is really bad at his job. You know things have gotten bad for old Joe when members of the comedic establishment decide that it's now fair game to talk about Joe Biden being old and incompetent and decrepit. So Jimmy Fallon last night, he pointed out that Anthony Fauci is going to retire before Joe Biden leaves office. By the way, the fact that this was even in question is amazing considering that Anthony Fauci is 81 years old. But I guess we have to pretend that Anthony Fauci is a spring chicken. So we can also pretend that 79-year-old Joe Biden is a spring chicken, a hallmark of a dying society, a society in which the entire leadership class is an octogenarian. In any case, here is Jimmy Fallon going after Joe Biden. I read that Dr. Fauci said that he plans to retire by the end of President Biden's term. 
Yeah, then everyone turned to Biden like, is there anything you'd like to announce too? <laughs> and that gets a big laugh because the simple fact is that Democrats believe that Joe Biden is the problem. What they don't realize, of course, is that Joe Biden is always a symptom. He is never the disease. Joe Biden is not the underlying rot at the core of the United States. He is just lesion that appears because of the underlying rot. Dana Carvey, also on Late Night TV, was going after Joe Biden last night, pointing out that he used to be a soothing grandpa, and now he's sort of just a grumpy old man. Biden came out as a really sleepy, sweet grandpa, and he was like, he's always repeating the story, you know, yeah, I went to Scranton, Scranton, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. My dad, my dad lost his job. No joke, I'm not kidding around here. Now what he does is he kind of whispers and then he yells. If you know, I think it's a wonderful move. Don't you love it when he's like, we know how to get natural gas. Because we can get it. We know how to get it. Okay, and uh, so when everybody is noticing that Joe Biden has a problem, that means there are bigger problems. The Biden administration, again, is indicative of a broader problem in American society, which is that we may be, in fact, in the last days of the society unless we revitalize ourselves. But again, there are many symptoms of this particular disease. One of those symptoms is when you send your best and brightest to ambassadorial parties and your best and brightest are a transgender woman who says that he is a four-star admiral and um, and a person who is dedicated to the greatness of puppy play. According to the Daily Wire, two members of the Biden administration, transgender assistant health secretary Rachel Levine and non-binary Department of Energy official Sam Brinton made a splash at a party at the French ambassador's home on Thursday. Brinton dresses in drag and is boasting online about his puppy role play fetish, wear a blue dress and high heels. Levine, who Biden elevated from Pennsylvania health secretary to health admiral despite a highly controversial handling of COVID lockdowns, wore a uniform with a skirt and heels. Week four on the job, champagne and celebration with the French ambassador in his residence for Bastille Day, Britain wrote on Instagram, but also the amazing opportunity to connect with one of the only other transgender government officials, Admiral Levine, not going to lie, it felt great to commiserate with a fellow trans person facing hate. Well, I thought that Sam Britton was non-binary. I didn't realize that, that Sam Britton was also trans. Britain's account has since been made private. Others took screenshots of the photo. Um, you know, the, the fact is that there will be certain photos that appear in the history of the United States when it talks about the decline and fall. And this one may very well be right there at the top. Again, the best and brightest produced by the United States system. A man who believes that he is a woman who presided over the death of many, many old people in the state of Pennsylvania before being declared really good at his job. Again, we only use biological pronouns on this show. And a deputy assistant secretary for spent fuel at the Department of Energy who... Um, likes to dress up as a dog as part of a bizarre sexual fetish known as puppa play and who has given lectures on kinky sex practices, including presentations about adults who like to wear diapers and pretend that they are babies. This is all indicative of the underlying mental health of the United States, generally speaking. All of this goes to a simple fact. This is a culture and a society that seem to be in market decline. And one of the other symptoms of that is this piece from the New York Times as of yesterday, talking about how it is nearly impossible now to fill the roles over at the U.S. military. Why? Because apparently pretty much everybody's just fat, drunk, and stupid. Everybody is now John Belushi from Animal House. According to the New York Times, the local Army recruiting station was empty. The normally reliable recruiting grounds at the nearby Walmart were robust. With the Army still thousands of soldiers short of its recruiting goal, the station commander, Sergeant First Class James Pulliam, dressed head-to-toe in camouflage, scanned a strip mall parking lot for targets. He spotted a young woman getting out of a car, put on his best salesman smile. Hey, how'd you know I was going to be here today? The sergeant said with an affable South Carolina drawl as if greeting an old friend. I'm going to help put you in the army. 
These are tough times for military recruitment. Almost across the board, the armed forces are experiencing large shortfalls in enlistments this year, a deficit of thousands of entry-level troops on pace to be worse than any since after the Vietnam War. It now threatens to throw a wrench into the military's machinery, leaving critical jobs unfilled and some platoons with too few people to function. COVID-19 is part of the problem. Lockdowns during the pandemic have limited recruiters' ability to forge bonds face-to-face with prospects. And the VAX mandate has kept some would-be troops away. The current white labor market with many more jobs available than people to fill them is also a factor. But longer term demographic trends are also taking a toll, says the New York Times. Less than one quarter of young American adults are physically fit to enlist. Literally, everyone is too fat. Everybody is too fat and too lazy to even go into the army if they wished to do so. They have no disqualifying criminal record. So everybody is a fat criminal in the United States. So, yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Shifting attitudes towards military service mean that now only about one in young ten in ten young people say they would even consider joining the military. So the military is trying to pay people now. They're trying to give them bonuses as high as fifty grand, offering quick ship cash of up to thirty five grand for certain recruits who can leave for basic training in thirty days. They've also loosened their restrictions on neck tattoos and other standards. In June, the army briefly dropped its requirement for a high school diploma. Then they had to uh, reverse course and rescind the change. The Army is the largest of the armed forces. The recruiting shortfall is hitting super hard. As of late June, it had recruited 40% of the roughly 57,000 new soldiers it wants to put in boots by September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. So there are a bunch of things that are happening here. One, we are a fat and stupid society filled with fat people who are criminals. So this is a a real problem. When you're looking at the cohort and there are just too many people who are out of shape to even go into the army, that's a problem. And then, of course, you have the broader ideological problem, which is that a huge number of Americans don't want to go into the military. Now, you'd expect that from, say, the sort of political left. The the South in the United States has always been a disproportionate source of recruitment for the United States military. Red areas tend to recruit more soldiers than blue areas. But there's another underlying problem here, and that is when the military, and indeed the entire U.S. governmental structure, starts to be seen As a tool for social justice, social engineering, a lot of people who normally would have thought about going into the military decide they do not want to go into the military. No doubt it is not a particularly good face for the military to be pulling out from Afghanistan, leaving 19 million women to the tender predations of the Taliban, getting 13 American troops murdered in the process and leaving hundreds of Americans behind. The the sort of message of the military The notion that the honor of the United States was at stake, that appeals to a certain class of people in the United States. And when you routinely undermine that honor, a lot of those people don't want to join the military. And then when you decide that your entire recruitment effort is going to be based on personal sexual self-fulfillment, which apparently is what happened during all of Pride Month, where you had every major military branch releasing videos about Jenny's two moms and about how Bill was going to be able to really explore his sexual sense of well-being in the United States Army. That sort of stuff is not likely to attract recruits, mainly because the sort of people who are really interested in living that life and defining themselves by their sexual identity, that's not chiefly the group that you're going to recruit from for the United States military. The sort of atomistic individualism that the military under Joe Biden is promoting, the DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion ideal that the military is promoting, is not likely to result in drawing a huge number of DEI people. Those are not the people the military typically recruits. So you have an ideological problem, you have an actual physical problem, you have a fact that there are a lot of people in the United States who are, who are too undereducated or who already have criminal records to, to join the military. Now, all of which suggests a deeper underlying malaise in the American body politic that has bled down to the youngest generation. And America's enemies are just looking at us and laughing. Again, if the photos that America provides to the world of our leadership class are a geriatric daughter who cannot finish a sentence 
and falls off his bike on a routine basis, a nuclear waste official who dresses in drag to go to the French ambassador's house and a deputy associate health and human services department person who is a man who believes that he is a woman. And this is the sort of face that you wish to promote to the rest of the world. Is it any wonder that everybody sort of thinks that the United States is fat, happy, and weak? Is that really a shock in any way? Why, why would it be? The rest of the world doesn't live like we do. When, when, when what you promote in the United States at the top level is the idea that the United States is a weird place filled with strange people who live a value system wildly different from the rest of the world. And you can't even recruit enough people for your military. The rest of the world is going to look askance at you and begin to think they can push you around. And that's precisely what you are seeing from China. Well, China senses dysfunction here in the United States. Well, if you are suffering from dysfunction, I'm talking about erectile dysfunction, you need to get that fixed like right now, which is why you need to go to GetRoman.com slash Ben right now to speak with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction. Get 15 bucks off your very first month of treatment. Now, the truth is that ED is really common. A lot of dudes are embarrassed about this. I get it. But 52% of guys aged 40 to 70 experience some form of erectile dysfunction. If you can get that solved quickly and easily and you can do it quietly, why wouldn't you do that? The benefits of ED treatment can help you reconnect with your wife. Roman Ready is confidence personified. It is the self-assurance that comes from knowing you've prepared yourself for the moment when your biology needs to work the way it is supposed to. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, convenient, and discreet. Getting started, super simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Ben. Complete an online visit today. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional and get the problem taken care of. Go to GetRoman.com slash Ben today. If you prescribe, get 15 bucks off your very first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have the confidence and control you need this summer. Roman ready. So China has now said that it will take, quote unquote, forceful measures if Nancy Pelosi visits Taiwan. China believes that it has the United States over a barrel. One of the reasons it believes that it has the United States over the barrel is because the United States pursued really bad energy policy for years alongside the European Union. And then when the Russians invaded Ukraine, the only measures that were taken were basically we sent some military aid to Ukraine, and then we cut ourselves off from the oil and gas supplies from Russia, and Russia's been doing just fine. The ruble is, is plenty strong. Russia is still able to sell its oil on the open markets via second parties. And so China is looking at this, and they're thinking, well, the West tried the sanctions on Russia and it hasn't been a wild success. Do you really think that the West is really going to sanction us? Like if we go after Taiwan, do you really think that the West is going to do anything of note? And the West, in its pose of strategic ambiguity, has left the door open to the possibility that China actually does something on Taiwan. China is looking at Taiwan with envious eyes. Taiwan produces 92% of the world's advanced semiconductors. And the fact is that Russia has now been cut off from the global supply of semiconductors through economic sanctions. China might be afraid of something like that. Now, if they were to invade Taiwan, I assume there's some sort of fail-safe in which Taiwan destroys its semiconductor supply so that China can't get a hold of it. But the bottom line is that that would also deny semiconductors to the West. So if you're China and you're looking at Taiwan and you figure the United States is economically overstretched, you, you figure that the United States does not have the military capacity to really, truly provide a threat necessary to deter you over Taiwan, and the leadership class is filled with people who are more interested in their bizarre forms of social life than they are in actually defending a, a strong, honorable country worldwide. The, 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 this is a country whose top priority is flying the Pride Progress flag at the U.S. Embassy rather than, you know, actually defending embassies in places like Afghanistan. When, when you are China and you look at that, you, you have to be spotting a weak horse. 
So the Washington Post says that China's foreign ministry lashed out Tuesday after reports that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is planning a trip to Taiwan in August, saying it firmly opposes a visit. Pelosi had planned to lead a congressional delegation to Taiwan, the Democratic island claimed by Beijing in April, but delayed her trip to Asia after contracting the virus. A visit this summer would make Pelosi one of the most senior U.S. politicians to travel to Taiwan in recent years, the first House Speaker to go there since Newt Gingrich in 1997. Pelosi's office told the Washington Post on Tuesday, quote, we do not confirm or deny international travel in advance due to longstanding security protocols. The Financial Times had first reported news of Pelosi's trip, saying she would visit Singapore, Japan, Indonesia, and Malaysia. The Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Zhao Lijian said, quote, if the United States insists on going ahead, China will have to take firm and forceful measures to defend national sovereignty and territorial integrity. Such a trip would cause, quote, grave harm to China's sovereignty and territorial integrity and seriously impact the political foundations of China-U.S. relations. Taiwan's Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Joanne Ao said her agency had not received information related to reports of Pelosi's visits. Beijing claims Taiwan is its own and has pledged to achieve what it calls reunification, threatening, if necessary, to use force to take control of the self-ruled island. Shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine, Biden sent an unofficial delegation of former U.S. and defense national security officials to Taiwan in March. That was a bid to show that the U.S. commitments to Taiwan remained rock solid. But again, China thinks that it has the United States over a barrel. I mean, Joe Biden is literally going on almost bended knee to the Saudis to ask them for oil. Joe Biden is basically having to back off of his own positions with regard to environmentalism. Why would China not think that it has the whip hand in this particular relationship? And that's especially true because, again, this is an administration that seems determined to throw obstacles in the way of the American economy. See, here's the thing. Economics is a national security issue. If you wish to take on America's enemies abroad, whether it is Russia or whether it is China, if you actually wish to do that, you have to mobilize the American economy in all of its full might and power. And that means releasing the regulation. It means energy production. It means changing the way that you approach the resources of the United States. Instead, Joe Biden now seems to be doubling down on all the things that make the United States weaker on the world stage. China's not interested in radically cutting its own emissions. China's interested in ramping up its economy so that it can fight the United States on the global economic front. Meanwhile, the United States and the EU, they're busy navel-gazing over environmental policy that, by the way, is not going to markedly change the temperature over the course of the next hundred years. Even if everybody were to abide by the Paris Agreements, it wouldn't markedly change the temperatures over the course of the next hundred years, especially given the fact that China and India are still pumping. Nonetheless, Joe Biden is now, quote, eyeing climate emergency declaration as Democrats demand swift action. Uh, you got to admire the the fact that the entire United States government now operates basically like Michael Scott from the office. They just declare emergencies now. And Michael Scott, I declare bankruptcy. You're like, oh, that didn't actually declare bankruptcy. Joe Biden now declares things emergencies, and this is supposedly going to solve them. So according to the Washington Post, President Biden is considering whether to declare a national climate emergency in the coming weeks as he seeks to salvage his stalled environmental agenda and satisfy Democrats on Capitol Hill. Again, he is so indebted to the center of the Democratic Party. Remember, it ain't about Biden. It's about the waves underneath Biden. Biden is just a cork. The waves are the real issue. And those waves are pushing him ever more to the left. The new calls for action came as Biden prepared to speak Wednesday about the increasingly evident consequences of a rapidly changing planet. Another punishing heat wave descended on the central United States this week as similar weather patterns spread wildfires and broke temperature records in the UK and across Europe. Again, as I say, pretty much every summer, whenever it's a slow news cycle, talk about how it gets real hot in summer as it has for literally all of human history. It's hotter now than it has been for the past century or so. But there have been times in 
the world's past in which it has been significantly hotter. At the White House, top officials contemplated issuing a new emergency declaration, hoping it might aid the government's efforts to reduce carbon emissions and foster cleaner energy, according to three people familiar with the matter who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the private deliberations. Biden does not plan to declare a climate emergency when he speaks on Wednesday in Massachusetts, the White House later confirmed, acknowledging it has not ruled out using such a declaration at another time. But those familiar with the president's thinking said other executive action may be imminent. The internal scramble reflected the political buy-in facing Democrats who took power in Washington one and a half years ago and set about trying to use their rare majorities to enact historic climate-related investments. Repeatedly, however, those hopes have been dashed, with the latest setback coming last week when Senator Joe Manchin raised renewed concerns about his party's broader spending ambitions. By the way, Democrats are fighting mad at Joe Manchin for getting in the way of their climate action proposals. Joe Manchin is the only thing standing between them and a 60-seat House loss in November. Imagine if the Democrats had actually gotten away with Build Back Better. Imagine if the Democrats had actually gotten away with radical new environmental regulations that made gas seven bucks a gallon. You think that would actually benefit Democrats in some way? This demonstrates the insane echo chamber that has been created by the media among Democrats. Senator Bernie Sanders is urging the Biden administration to act given the global crisis we're facing, given the inability of Congress to address the existential threat. Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia stressed to reporters the White House has a lot of power. We really want them to use that power to do things. Right, so they can't get anything done in Congress. So why not go to the dictator in the White House and just have him use the pen and the phone? Senator Thomas Carper, the Democrat from Delaware who chairs the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, said, quote, right now you've got Europe on fire, record temperatures in Great Britain. They're trying to have the Tour de France and they're having people keeping, they're having problems keeping enough water to keep people going. We're here talking about not doing climate before the end of the session. I think that's an incredible mistake. The president pledged extensive executive action on climate change last week as talks collapsed between Democratic leaders and Manchin over a broader spending package. Biden promised in a statement, quote, my actions will create jobs, improve our energy security, bolster domestic manufacturing and supply chains, protect us from oil and gas price hikes in the future and address climate change. I will not back down. The opportunity to create jobs and build a clean energy future is too important to relent to Bangadeshi boo. Um, and China, meanwhile, is just looking and laughing. It's, it's an incredible thing. If they keep going along these lines, it's not just that they're going to get shellacked in Congress as well. They should. It's that America's foreign policy enemies are looking at the United States and realizing that we are just a bag of wind. Representative Ben Ray Lujan, Democrat, he sort of let the cat out of the bag. He says that fighting climate change is more important than inflation. Uh, try selling that one to the American public. Do you understand your, your colleague's messaging here? If he says inflation is his biggest concern, um, isn't, isn't this climate package something that would be already paid for, so that would be a moot point? A majority of the Democratic caucus, a majority of the country, and folks around the world believe that we need to take action on the climate crisis. Um, we know that the climate crisis will deliver more economic challenges and problems across the United States and around the world. It's going to take people's lives. We're seeing the devastation um, that families are facing right now across Europe. Well, there's obviously a wild disconnect from our political class and the American people at large. It turns out that Representative Ben Ray Lujan, who says that climate change should be more important to Americans than inflation. He is not speaking for most Americans. Uh, you know, I don't like it when people talk about things they don't know anything about, which is one of the reasons I don't like going to the auto parts store. Very often you go to the auto parts store, the guy behind the counter doesn't know much more than I do. I'm no expert on cars. This is why I don't rely on the people at the auto parts store to then sell me a product that they are upcharging me for and they order it online. Instead, I head on over to rockauto.com. They know auto parts. It's all they do. RockAuto.com is a family business founded by automotive engineers over 20 years ago. 
Their original goal was and still is to make auto parts available and affordable so customers can keep their daily drivers and classics safely on the road. RockAuto.com's online parts catalog is uniquely easy to use. You can quickly see all the parts available for your specific car, SUV, or truck. Their photos, specs, and installation tips to help you pick the best parts to meet your vehicle's needs. RockAuto.com will not only have the part, Usually, they'll give you several trusted brands to choose from. Rock Auto's kits are popular because they bundle together all the parts needed for a successful repair. You don't get halfway through installing a timing belt and then discover you need another pulley, for example. Professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers always pay the same reliably low prices. Join them at rockauto.com. Get the brakes, shocks, carpet, wipers, headlights, mirrors, mufflers, lug nuts, or any other parts you need. Be sure when you check out to write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that I sent you. If you are China, you are just laughing into your sleeve right now. You are so excited about all of this. Now, here's the thing. Americans are not up for it. According to a new TIPP INI poll, Joe Biden's presidency when it comes to climate change is really in the dumpster. Respondents were asked to respond to a question with five choices. Would you say you, one, agree with Biden's climate change policy, even if it means higher energy prices, disagree with Biden's policy and want more energy produced to decrease prices, don't think global climate change should be a U.S. policy priority, don't believe in climate change, or five, not sure? The answer came back loud and clear. 32% of those answering the poll said they support Biden's climate change policy, even if it means higher energy prices. So 57% of Americans answered no. They said either they disagreed with his policies and want more and cheaper energy, 41%, or they don't think climate change should be a policy priority, 10%, or they don't even believe the climate is changing, 6%. And 11% said not sure. So in other words, 32% of Americans total, which by the way, kind of matches Joe Biden's approval rating. I mean, that's the hardcore progressive base. 32% say they agree with Joe Biden's climate change policy, even if it means higher energy prices. And Joe Biden, because again, he's governed by the base of the Democratic Party, is following this anyway. Even among Democrats, 24% say they want more energy and cheaper prices. 5% don't think climate change should be a policy focus. 2% aren't really sure the climate is changing. 11% said that they are not sure. Which, if my math is correct, means that some 40, 42% of Democrats disagree with Joe Biden's energy policy. 42% of Democrats, which is wild. And yet Joe Biden is trying to push this thing through nonetheless. And that's because, again, he lives in a media bubble in which all the members of the media are firmly convinced they have the solutions on climate change. And those solutions merely require you to pay seven bucks a gallon for gasoline. They require us to completely undermine our own national security. Because here's the thing. When push comes to shove, we are still going to need the carbon-based energy sources that allow us to compete on the world stage with places like China, and China knows it. But the columnists over at the Washington Post and the New York Times, they know who to blame about all of this. That is the American people. For example, Catherine Rampell, opinion columnist at the Washington Post, she says, however much we say we care about climate, it always takes a backseat to other more, more immediate concerns, to aesthetics, to neighborhood character, to short-term fluctuations in gas prices. We voters have made our preferences loud and clear. Elected officials have listened, or at least they think they have, even if they sometimes pursue policies that unintentionally make things worse. A pox on all our houses. Well, I mean, at least she understands that the American people are against the policy. Paul Krugman just rips Republicans, of course. Paul Krugman's answer to all of this is, quote, the fact that one of America's two major political parties appears to be viscerally opposed to any policy that seems to serve the public good is the issue. Overwhelming scientific consensus in favor of such policies doesn't help. If anything, it hurts because modern GOP is hostile to science and scientists. Yes, they are, again, in this bubble of their own making in which the American people ought to agree that running up massive deficits, that extraordinary inflation rates, that undermining America's national security is a good thing. By the way, even the Washington Post is now acknowledging that Joe Biden's climate pledge is essentially impossible at this point. According to the Washington Post, in 101 months, the United States will have achieved President Biden's most important climate promise or it will have fallen short. Right now, it is falling short. 
and it will soon be virtually impossible. That's true for the United States. It's true for the planet. Nearly 200 nations strive to tackle climate change with a fast dwindling timeline for doing so. Now, again, the answer to all of this is going to be economic growth and innovation. That is going to be the answer to climate change. It's going to be building seawalls. It's going to be doing geoengineering. It's going to be developing new sources of energy that supplant carbon-based fossil fuels over time. It is not going to be Joe Biden yelling at the wind or screaming at the sun or everybody saying that Joe Manchin is destroying life on Earth. None of that is going to work. But Biden can't let go of it, which is why you end up with Biden's energy advisor saying, you know what this really is, all of this? It's an opportunity to accelerate the transition. No one believes that the high gas prices right now are an opportunity to accelerate a transition to green energy. Nobody believes that. And if you run on that basis, you are going to get skunked. We have to do two things at the same time, and that's what the president wants to do. And that is to accelerate the energy transition to get uh, us moving a lot faster on deployment of renewable energy, on manufacturing of and, and deployment of electric vehicles. But at the same time, we recognize that we need to do that in a way that still allows for lower prices at the pump, lower prices of energy overall, electricity, gasoline, diesel. And I think what we're seeing is that these actions that the president takes doesn't always translate into uh, results on the same day. But look where we are today compared to where we were. Yeah, I mean, where we are today is with gas still at 450 a gallon and China laughing at us and, and mocking us and Joe Biden going over and fist bumping Mohammed bin Salman. Now, here's the reality. When it comes to Mohammed bin Salman and Joe Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia, first of all, none of that would be necessary if we hadn't been curbing our own energy production here in the United States. The United States is the biggest energy supplier on planet Earth right now. It would be much better if we actually unleashed the American economy in order to compete with our enemies, in order to scare our enemies into submission, in order to grow our economy. We could be doing all of those things. Joe Biden, because he is, again, held hostage by his own base, willfully, I mean, it's not as though they're they are actually putting a gun to his head. He put the gun to his own head. He's you know basically that guy from Blazing Saddles at this point. But you know he is he has decided to engage in policy that undermines the strength of the United States. And then he is forced to go to places like Saudi Arabia on bended knee. And you can understand why the left is angry at him. The left was told, that they were going to get everything that they wanted here. They were going to get all the climate change legislation. So Joe Manchin is really bad. And they were told that Joe Biden was going to be able to uphold the high moral standards of the Democratic Party. And I will never understand why for Democrats, it is significantly better to cut a deal with the world's largest sponsors of global terrorism, Iran, a country responsible for the deaths of literally thousands of American service people in Iraq. That's a, that, that's a, that's a big win. But you're definitely not allowed to cut a deal with Mohammed bin Salman, who's attempting to modernize Saudi Arabia while also being a brutal dictator. And the, the, those things, the, the Democrats, you know, shocking hatred of Mohammed bin Salman and the and the Saudis. It's kind of newfangled, isn't it? I'm old enough to remember when Barack Obama was literally bowing to the Saudi king. But apparently now it's, it's very, very bad. But you can't blame them. After all, they thought that they had Joe Biden tied up in the basement. And this is how you end up with, again, the late night comedians going after Joe Biden for fist bumping Mohammed bin Salman. Now, listen, it is mockable. Joe Biden would not have to do any of this, right? He, he would actually have the ability to take a position that was anti-Saudi if he hadn't undercut his own energy positions with regard to climate change and sanctions on Russia. But he did. And now he has to go and he has to beg the Saudis for their help. Now, the, the truth is that American foreign policy should be realistic. There's always an idealistic component to American foreign policy. We obviously want to support like-minded allies. We obviously want, wish to deal as little as possible with brutal dictators. But Foreign policy is the art of dealing with people who you think stink on a lot of issues, but may have common interest to you, with you on this one thing. That is the art of politics generally. When it comes to foreign policy, when you're dealing with countries that have wildly different systems of government, wildly different worldviews that don't reflect Western attitudes toward human rights, you kind of have to do what you have to do in order to ensure the security and future pros prosperity of the United States. That's what Joe Biden should say, but he can't say that to his own base. 
And he's, he's created this, this vice for himself, and now he's stuck. So that is why you're seeing the late-night comedians going after him. Stephen Colbert ripping on Joe Biden last night. President Biden was on a trip to the Middle East last week where he had a bit of a controversial meeting with Crown Prince uh, of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, seen here saying, no, you drink your tea first. <laughs> this was always going to be a touchy trip because the Crown Prince is infamously, and I'm putting it delicately here, a murderer. <laughs> but on the other hand, gas is five bucks a gallon, so... Okay, but that is, by the way, he's joking about that. But that's sort of the reality of foreign policy, which is that very often you have to make untoward deals with countries that you don't particularly like. That is particularly true when you've weakened the United States at home. You don't want to make deals with Mohammed bin Salman. You actually have to unleash the energy, energy production at, the, in, at home. You can't have it both ways. Trevor Noah was doing the same thing on Comedy Central last night. Again, it's open season on Joe Biden, on the radical left. What they don't understand is that while Joe Biden may be the cork that bobs atop the waves of democratic politics, if Joe Biden is pushed aside, and you actually get a quote-unquote democratic leader who's pushing the tides and actually attempting to, to push the waves toward the left, things are going to get so much worse for them electorally. Here's Trevor Noah going after Joe Biden for a meeting with Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah! Yeah! Stop asking him about the fist bump. Ask him about the looming recession. No, actually, just ask me about the fist bump. Ask me about the fist bump. <laughs> America obsesses about these things. Don't, don't look too friendly. Don't do it. It's also funny how President Biden thought it would be better to fist bump Mohammed bin Salman because that seems less friendly than a handshake. That's the whitest decision of all time. No, because it's the opposite. Handshakes are the most formal way to meet someone. Even your enemy, you can be like, hello. But fist bumps is always like, eh, what's up? What's up, killer? I see you. I see you, man. Okay. <laughs> Fact check true. Everything Trevor Noah says there is absolutely true. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's popularity is flagging even among his own base. But don't don't worry. His energy advisor, who's been advising him on the worst possible energy policy, he says, I don't think Joe Biden is worried about his popularity ratings flagging. Everything is just fine. When it comes to inflation, just 25 percent approve of the job that President Biden is doing on it. Why do you think that number is so low? Well, because I think that these are the kinds of things that takes time to to mature. And and I think we're all empathetic. We all suffer through these higher prices. Uh, and I think the president's very aware. And I can tell you in every conversation, he is very focused on bringing down prices. Uh, I don't think he's too worried about popularity. I think he's worried about the prices that people pay. Um, he, he's worried about both of those things. He's really not worried about the prices. He's worried about his popularity inside the party. Joe Biden's plan, by the way, you, you do understand his political plan. Everybody thinks that he's being politically idiotic because he's not doing the actually popular, smart things here, and he's going to get shellacked in the midterms. Joe Biden has a logic. His logic is it doesn't matter if I ride at 40% in the approval ratings because I still have 92% among my Democratic base who say they will vote for me in a two-way race between me and Donald Trump. This is why the Democrats desperately want Donald Trump to be the nominee. Joe Biden desperately wants Donald Trump to be the nominee. It's Joe Biden's belief that he beat Donald Trump in 2020 and he will beat him again in 2024. And it doesn't matter. His approval rating could be at 20% and people hate Trump so much that he'll still be able to beat him in a rematch. That's Joe Biden's actual logic here. So to a certain extent, Biden's economic advisor there is not actually lying. It's true. Joe Biden isn't wildly worried about his own popularity and approval rating. To a certain extent, he would, I think, prefer to lose the House and lose the Senate from just a pure political perspective, because then he gets to run against Congress. And then he hopes and prays that he gets Donald Trump to run against because he thinks that he'll beat him again. So that's probably true from a certain perspective. 
The only problem is that he continues to weaken the United States with his supremely bad policy. Joe Biden's economy is on the skids right now. The best thing that you can do is put yourself into a better financial situation. Dig into your expenses, your savings, your investments. Take action to cut back where you can. If you got a lot of credit card debt or high living expenses, you can deal with it right now. Call American Financing for a free financial review. Learn how your home can work for you. You probably put a lot of time and effort into it. I know most of you are experiencing significant equity gains. Well, it might be time to access that equity as cash and put it toward credit card debt or any other high interest debt that you need to fix. It's easier than you think. You can learn more by calling our friends at American Financing. I'm telling you, no pressure, no obligation, no upfront or hidden fees. It's worth the 10-minute conversation. Just call 866-721-3300. That's 866-721-3300 or visit AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182334, Go check them out right now. Again, right now, a lot of people struggling financially. You don't know where the next dollar is coming from, but you have a lot of equity in your home. So why not see if it might be worthwhile accessing some of that equity to pay down other problems that you have financially? Call American Financing for a free financial review. Learn how your home can be put to work for you. Just give them a call at 866-721-3300. That's 866-721-3300. Well, folks, if you haven't already heard, last month we launched Daily Wire Plus, and we have so much amazing material for you. We have all of Jordan Peterson. We have Candace. We have What is a Woman by Matt Walsh. We have all sorts of extra goodies and excellent content for you over there. We've got Gina Carano's movie, Terror on the Prairie. We've got other movies for you. Just so much good stuff. And tomorrow, exclusively on dailywireplus.com, you can tune in to my book club at 8 p.m. Eastern. The book club is one of my favorite things that I do, the Ben Shapiro book club. It's really a lot of fun. We pick a different book every single month, and then we go through it together. You can ask questions. I will interact directly with you. I go through what I think are the main points of the book. You get a, an essay that I personally write. No one writes these essays for me. To watch, you have to be a Daily Wire all-access member. Head on over to dailywireplus.com to join us today. Get 35% off your brand new membership. Then tune in to my book club tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, dailywireplus.com. It's a very special episode because we are in Jerusalem, and that means that we are going to be doing Leon Uris's Exodus. We'll talk about the history of the state of Israel and what it means. We'll talk about its value in Western civilization. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Well, meanwhile, the Democrats who are flagging on pretty much every issue they think that they're going to win based on abortion. They, they seem to be under the grave misimpression that the vast majority of Americans want abortion on demand up to a point of birth. It is a, a pretty amazing position. Now, the truth is that when you look at the polls, neither the pro-life position that I champion nor the pro-choice position the Democratic Party champions are where the vast majority of Americans are. The vast majority of Americans are somewhere in between. They would like heavy abortion restrictions, particularly in the last couple of trimesters. In the first trimester, they seem more loose about abortion. That's not a logically consistent or philosophically coherent position. But in their hearts, if you had to take a poll of most Americans, that's where it is. But the truth is that differs widely by state. So in some states like Alabama, very pro-life positions that mirror my own. In some places like New York, you have very pro-choice positions that mirror the Democrats' position. But the broad position of the American public is somewhat restrictionist on abortion because that also happens to be the broad majority of the Western public. I mean, if you go to Europe, there are restrictions on abortion in virtually every European state, like all of them. But the Democrats have to run on something, which is how you end up with the Democrats trying to redirect from Joe Biden's failures on every front back to abortion, where really he can't do anything. You'll notice that there is this constant pattern for Democrats. All the stuff where they could do stuff, but they fail. We can't talk about that stuff. Let's talk about the stuff where it is literally impossible for them to do anything. Because that way, we can yell about things they can't act. Like, it's not their fault, so we can yell about it. And Joe Biden has pretty much no actual options on abortion. Abortion is a state-level issue. Democrats want to yell about that, specifically because Joe Biden doesn't have any power over that. Joe Biden doesn't really have a lot of power over global climate change. 
But they wish to yell about that because that way you can't really expect anything from slow Joe Biden. Anything where he has control, they wish to avoid talking about it. Anything where he doesn't have control, that's what they want to talk about. This is why you have Whoopi Goldberg trying to redirect, for example, from Joe Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia, which really goes to his energy policy and his foreign policy, both of which are disasters, and uh, try to redirect to abortion itself. He didn't have to go to Saudi Arabia, however, to find a country that's violating human rights or a country that's opposing women, because plenty of states that we live in are doing the same thing, remove protected rights from women, mm. disallowing them control over their bodies. Okay. So I just want to say, you know, I think part of the, the big problem that we have is our own hands are dirty. That's, that's an insane proposition from Whoopi Goldberg, but we are used to this. Whoopi, everyone is racist except for Hitler. That's her actual opinion, Goldberg, sounding off saying that the United States has places like Saudi Arabia. Uh, no, the answer there is no. In Saudi Arabia, you could be jailed until five minutes ago for driving if you were a woman. So no, there, there are pretty much no similarities, as it turns out, between Birmingham, Alabama, and Saudi Arabia. But again, this is really about misdirecting to a topic where Democrats think that they have a winner. The problem for them is that they don't actually have a winner on this sort of stuff. And the arguments they make are really quite hideous, as I've pointed out. The, the, the pro-abortion argument will rests on fully denying the humanity of unborn children. It rests on that because the moment that you acknowledge that there is humanity to unborn children, at the very least, you have to balance interests. And that means you are going to get some abortion restrictions. And it means that we ought to be uncomfortable with abortion as a moral matter. Democrats don't want to have that conversation. They want to completely ignore that particular issue. And so in the process, they end up sounding pretty ugly about pre-born human lives. For example, Representative Val Demings, You'll notice that she, she only wants to talk about one priority, quote unquote, bodily autonomy. It doesn't occur when it comes to vaccines, but it comes when, it, when we're talking about the killing of an unborn child. Here she is talking about bodily autonomy, sounding like a, a libertarian suddenly. And my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have the audacity to say freedom is what we are discussing here. You're damn right. That's exactly what we are discussing here. Individual Freedoms. I mean, who do we think we are to tell people how to live their lives? We ought to be asking ourselves, okay, what's next? If you think it stops here, where there's already been an indication that it does not uh, stop here with the call, the bold call to look at Griswold and Lawrence and even marrying the person that you love. I thought that was an American tradition. Um, no, actually, it turns out same-sex marriage is not really an American tradition. It was imposed by the Supreme Court less than a decade ago. So if you're talking about, you know, giant traditions in America, you know, long-standing traditions in America, no, not so much. But the truth, the truth is that, that when it comes to the Democratic Party and to the left in the United States, the proposition that they make on a moral level is basically Radical sexual autonomy is the only thing that matters. That is, that is the only thing that matters in your life, how you identify sexually, who you have sex with, who you choose to have sex with, and any impediment to that, whether it is governmental or whether it is biological, because obviously getting pregnant has some real impact on your sex life and, and how you choose to live your life. You know, that, that, that sort of stuff must be put by the wayside. And so Democrats are forced to make more and more outlandish arguments on behalf of abortion, because that isn't a particularly popular position. So for example, they, they start just making arguments that are, that are irrelevant and or stupid. So you have Cher, who is, again, an avatar of the Democratic Party's foolishness. She tweeted out, when I was young, I had three miscarriages. First at 18, I was alone in our house. Son came home and I was sobbing and rocking on our floor. When I got to, when I got to doctor, I was screaming in pain, couldn't stop. In an elevator, doctor sent me to hospital and into operating room. What would happen to me today? Um, you would have 
a miscarriage removed. That's what would happen. I mean, miscarriage is not illegal in the United States. Any implication that it is is incredibly stupid. When you have these articles in mainstream media talking about how doctors are refusing to perform the removal of miscarriages because they're afraid that they're violating abortion law, well, they shouldn't be. And if they are, they are doing doctoring wrong. And meanwhile, you have the same thing being said by people like CNN's Jim Sciutto saying, well, you know, doctors aren't treating ectopic pregnancies. Removal of ectopic pregnancy is not illegal in any state of which I am aware in the United States, despite the attempts by some sort of radical Republican parties on the state level to get rid of exceptions for life of the mother, which, by the way, I do not understand in the slightest. It does not. As one of the leading pro-life voices in America, I can tell you that virtually all pro-lifers are in agreement with the basic sentiment that if the life of the mother is in danger and the only option is either abortion or mom dies, that abortion is an appropriate solution. Ectopic pregnancy rests in that category. Well, Jim Sciotto is promoting the idea that this is not true. A consequence of how these laws are written is that even some women with unviable pregnancies, whether it be miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies, they're struggling to receive treatment in some states. A doctor's fearing prosecution, right, even though those fetuses cannot live. Uh, they will not live. Is this a new reality post row? And I just wonder what the what the ethical issues are for doctors who deny care to women like that. This is not a major issue in the United States on a statistical level. And if doctors are interpreting the law that way, they are interpreting the law incorrectly. They're just interpreting the law incorrectly. And what it really comes down to, again, is that that sort of radical notion of individual autonomy that rests at the heart of Democratic Party politics. No radical autonomy when it comes to actually how you dispose of your, your property in the economy. No radical autonomy in how you run your business. No radical autonomy in terms of whether you get a vax. But radical autonomy in terms of sex is the only kind of full-scale autonomy the Democratic Party actually cares about. This is why you have Democratic Party witnesses who are actively testifying on behalf of abortion as an overt good. The only way that you can perceive abortion as anything other than a tragedy is if you believe that radical autonomy is the only thing that matters in the sexual sphere. That is, that is the only way that you start to see, like, again, the safe, legal, and rare position of Bill Clinton was philosophically and emotionally incoherent, but it made some sort of sense at sort of a root level because people are uncomfortable at abortion, but some people want it to be available. Like that, at, at least you can sense what was attempting to be done. For Democrats, the, the notion of celebrating abortion is because it's an active good in promoting a broader good, which is the radical ability to define your own life sexually. That's the only thing that matters to these folks. This is why you have a pro-abortion Democrat testifying, I owe my life to abortion. This is kind of an amazing statement. I owe my life to an abortion. Not only mine, but because shortly after Roe v. Wade, a black woman was able to have an abortion in Illinois. She was in a relationship that wasn't right for her, and it allowed her to move on, attend nursing school, and marry a fellow student and have a child with him. As my mother, um, that child was me. And as my mother told me, Renee, I chose you. That is exactly what abortion is about. So your half-sister had to die so you could be born. That's, that's, that sounds great. That just, that, that sounds wonderful. By the way, I would be remiss to note here that Democrats, again, they're trying to run on this issue and they are not looking good in doing so. So some 17 Democrats were arrested in an abortion rights rally outside the Supreme Court. These representatives included Ilhan Omar, Anna Presley, Jackie Spire, Bonnie Watson Coleman, Rashida Tlaib. It was basically the squad and its associated members. At 1.20 p.m., the U.S. Capitol Police wrote on Twitter, it began arresting activists blocking First Street Northeast. Authorities said they gave their traditional three warnings before taking the protesters into custody. The demonstration was designed to get people arrested so they could pretend that there was some sort of fascist crackdown on the pro-choice position in Washington, D.C., of all places. And this uh, resulted in some pretty hilarious and stunning tape. So, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is one of the geniuses behind this rally. 
And the footage of Alexander Ocasio-Cortez getting arrested is hysterically funny, like really, really funny, because this Instagram congresswoman is concerned with nothing so much as the images that come out from her. That's all that matters to her. She uses Congress as a platform for her social media following. Yuval Levin, the excellent columnist and author, he talks routinely about how the institutions of the United States have been basically hollowed out from within by people who wish to use the institutions as platforms rather than allowing the institutions to shape them. So it used to be that when you went into Congress, you wanted to be a representative, you wanted to represent the people in your district, you learned how Congress worked, you attempted to get things done, you tried to pick a few key priorities and advance them, and you became a congressperson. Well, now it's Congress is just a way for you to get more famous. And AOC is just the best example of this. So she, along with these 17 other lawmakers, got arrested for standing in the street. Like the reason that you stand in the street and that you don't dissipate when the police tell you to do so is because you wish to be arrested and to get the pictures from it. For AOC, she is so, she is so fake. She is so phony. So she gets arrested. And by arrested, we mean that she was like held for one second by the police and then released. And um, in the process of getting arrested, she pretends that she's being handcuffed. I'm not kidding. The video shows AOC with her hands behind her. There are no handcuffs on her. She has not been in any way restricted in her movement. And then in the middle of this, she takes her hands out from behind her back and raises one hand in the power salute, demonstrating that she is not in fact handcuffed. And then she puts her hands back behind her back as though she's been handcuffed again. She is what a ridiculous Hollywood-esque character she is beyond parody. Here is the video of AOC being arrested. So you can see her. She's being walked right here. But by the way, she is holding her hands behind her back. Nobody is telling her she has to hold her hands behind her back. It looks like she's handcuffed or something. There's a lady walking right next to her. The policeman has his hands on two women. One is just generic protester and one is AOC. The policeman, the, the woman who's not AOC, is walking normally, right? She's got both hands by her sides like a normal human. AOC is holding her hands behind her back to demonstrate that she is being arrested as though she has been restrained in some way. She's not been restrained in any way. The police officer is just holding her arm because she's under arrest. She puts her hands behind her back like she's Nelson Mandela or something. And she then raises her arm in salute to people demonstrating that she is not actually restrained. And so either she's David Blaine and she's capable of slipping physical handcuffs in order to raise the power fist and then slipping her hand back into the handcuffs. Or she actually is not being restrained, but this is all performative. All of politics now is so performative. And then you wonder why it is that American politics seems to be falling apart. It's all performative because our politicians are no longer treated like they should be. They're not treated as plumbers who are expected to fix problems. Our politicians are treated as great moral leaders. Of If you could find a class of people less qualified to be great moral leaders than politicians, you're hard pressed to do so. Specifically because they are selected by the population. If you elect your own moral leaders, how can you expect them to be moral leaders? I mean, that you don't elect the the rabbis that you choose, right? You can have a congregation with a board and they go and they hire somebody. But the great moral leaders, typically speaking, are not people who are answerable to the public via voting. If you're just looking through the vast swath of human history, the great activists that we've had are not people who are, who are answerable to the vast majority of the American public. Specifically because if you're answerable to the vast majority of the American public, very often you can't actually do the things that are, are moral and necessary. Okay, but the idea here is that we're supposed to look to our politicians for great moral guidance. And that means that all of our politicians are invested in being our great moral leaders, even if that means getting nothing done. And the getting nothing done becomes the point. And then we're supposed to be disappointed in our politicians. 
when they get nothing done. So we, we both want them to be great moral exemplars who get nothing done and also people who get something done. And they're not going to do any of these things. And so you end up with an extraordinarily weak political class that doesn't get anything done, but po- get, that doesn't get anything done, but poses an enormous amount. That's very interested in posing for the cameras. Whether it's AOC crying, supposedly, at a fence, wearing all white, a full parking lot away from a detention facility. By the way, I haven't noticed her crying over child detentions among illegal immigrants, even though they're now at all-time highs under Joe Biden. She's just not a priority for her. Or whether she's faking being handcuffed at an abortion rally for the cameras. This is what our political class has become. It's a complete merger of celebrity class and the political class. And the result is a group of people who are completely disconnected from the American public because they have an echo chamber morality mirrored by the media and people who also get nothing done. So it's the worst of all available worlds. And that leads people to be both disappointed in the morality of the people who are in office and also disappointed in the efficacy of people who are in office. Well, that's a pretty ugly recipe. And the backlash is coming and it's coming strong. And frankly, it should be coming at this point. And our enemies are watching because while the United States is worried about issues like climate change, which Joe Biden really doesn't have any power to control, while we are worried about issues like abortion, which the federal government really is not involved in, while we're doing all of that, China is on the move. China is seeking to consolidate its gains. What this means is that weaker economic systems like the communist system in China actually can succeed in certain ways against the United States, not because China is well-run, but because America is so poorly run. The, the simple fact of the matter is that China is a horribly run country. It wastes literally trillions of dollars every single year. It keeps its own people in a state of repression and poverty. It restricts innovation specifically because it might come at the expense of the Communist Party for innovation to take place. A certain level of liberty and freedom have to be available in order for true innovation to happen. That doesn't happen in China. China tends to rip off American products. They don't tend to invent amazing new ones. Okay, but... All of those inherent weaknesses of China are going to be covered for by the fact that the United States and the West have decided to deliberately weaken themselves morally, spiritually, politically, economically. No wonder America's enemies are on the move, and it's going to get worse over time unless we rediscover the moral backbone that made the West what the West was supposed to be. All right, we'll be back here later today with additional content. In the meantime, make sure to go check out the Michael Knowles Show that is available right now at dailywireplus.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, Hair and makeup artist and wardrobe, Fabiola Cristina. Production coordinator, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. AOC and Ilhan Omar pretend to be dragged away from a protest in handcuffs. 47 Republicans vote to enshrine same-sex marriage into law. And new reporting makes the 22-year-old civilian who killed an Indiana mall mass shooter look even more heroic. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Michael Knowles Show. 